that happened. We have no control over it now. What we have control over is processing what that means. I believe that we grow from adversity. We grow from failure. We learn. And so what are our takeaways from that game or that run that you would have looked back on wanting to do differently? Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Today I am talking with Lisa Bonta Sumi. Lisa is a therapist with over 21 years experience. She's based in California and currently works with student athletes and professional athletes. She received her master's in clinical social work from Smith College School for Social Work in 1994. She's been in private practice for over 15 years, where her focus has primarily been on working with individuals and couples of color, exploring areas such as racial and ethnic identity, the impacts of intergenerational community and interpersonal trauma, healthy relationships, and positive coping skills. In the last two years, Lisa has pivoted to specialize in supporting athletes in optimal mental health and sport performance. She currently works with elite student-athletes and professional athletes across all sports. I love talking to Lisa. She hit on so many important topics, whether you're an athlete yourself, the parent of an athlete, or someone who wants to improve your mental skill game. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show, Lisa. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much, Kim. I appreciate the opportunity and just feel grateful that you invited me. Yeah, I just want to jump right in. Tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got started. I've been a licensed clinical social worker for over 21 years in California. And people ask me, did you always know you wanted to do that? And I was like, yeah, before I even knew it was a profession. So basically, I am a therapist and had been for many years focused on the experience of people of color, BIPOC individuals, interracial couples, couples of color, cross-cultural parenting. So I had been doing that for many, many years. And then in the last two years, two, two and a half years, I've been inspired by my 14-year-old elite student athlete um, who plays softball and became a softball mom, much to my (laughs) chagrin. And I did not know anything about the sport of softball, but she self-selected that and I was forced to kind of support, not forced, but support her to and learn that sport is something I didn't really know. So the culture of competition I was reintroduced to because I'm a former competitive soccer player growing up. So my own identity as, a, as an athlete got reignited. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to shift things because I saw the, the, the intensity, the pressure the responsibility of being an athlete at that level at such a young age and recalled my own. And so I would have loved to have someone like me as a support and didn't know that there there is such a thing. And so I shifted and now I work with student athletes at the high school and collegiate level, Olympians, Olympian hopefuls and professional athletes right now. And it's super exciting. It's reinvigorated my career and and I love what I do. I think this is so fascinating. You know, I work with runners primarily. I work with runners and there's so much that you get into when you're working, you know, getting somebody ready for a race and just the number of things that athletes can do to mess with their minds, to psych themselves out. Mm -hmm. Even when it's something like getting to the end of a training cycle and you're in your taper before your marathon or your half marathon and 
just the nerves that go along with, oh, I didn't train enough. I need to run more. I need to keep training. And, you know, that's never a good idea to increase your mileage, you know, a week before your race. So I do think it's fascinating to think about the mindset issues and to think about working with high school athletes, especially because it seems to me that there's not a lot of focus on the mental game in high school sports. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, I think that there's enough to sort of train the physical skills and, and fine tune kind of where you are. A lot of athletes are multiple sport players. And so like fine tuning, which sport they really want to focus on. And it's seen as, which I would love to try and have influence in shifting as a later, later stage skill or something you, it's a luxury to consider. So I definitely agree with you on that. What's the process? Do you go into high schools or middle schools and work with on a school level? Or is it something right now where parents are hiring you to work with their student one-on-one? Mm-hmm. Great question. I mean, what the way I started was the softball organization that my daughter competes on. I did a organizational wide pro bono talk on COVID. COVID had just started. So on looking at the signs of stress and anxiety and then sport, mental sport performance. And that was to like, gosh, there's their age group from 10U all the way to 18U, about two to three teams per age group. And so I did that talk. And then I said, anyone in this organization who wants to meet with me for the next two months, it's, it's free. I'm available. Let's make it happen. And so, as you might imagine, several families and athletes approached me and then it became you know, word of mouth, like Lisa's great in this way and that way. And then some of those players moved to other organizations and then those organizations heard about me through their, that player, et cetera. So that's how I've been doing it for, at the high school level. I think that's a very generous offer that you made. I can imagine that you got a lot of people interested in that. No, I wanted to make it accessible. I wanted it to be something that's not intimidating or have money be an issue to access it and for them to experience it, whether they stopped at two months or not, that's up to them. But 100% of the folks who started with me have stayed with me for, you know, still to this day and at least six months. And so they, that I'm happy that there's something they took away from it. There were skills there uh, and they can apply it to their sport. Very, very smart. Can you give us a few examples of the types of issues or questions or concerns that either the athlete or their parents would have when they first come to you? Mm -hmm. It would be predominantly like in a game, I or my athlete get so anxious and nervous about the outcome, my physical skills decline, or I'm not able to access the physical ability, which I know I have, or my athlete has to complete whatever that, that responsibility is, whether it's the pitcher, which is high, high profile, high anxiety, or at the, at the plate hitting, um, or at shortstop or any position, just like getting in their head too much about the outcome. So in that avenue, we focus on process versus outcome. We talk a little bit about what mental skills could be helpful for them. And we practice them together, we create them, and then we, we set a plan. So it's very individualized. I, at that level, especially, but with all my athletes, I treat them as an athlete and a human in their environment. So 
it's not just, I found that it's not just them being anxious in their sport. They're anxious in other areas of their life too. And, and <laughs> so being they are. To like, right. And so like that, that, that midterm, that final, that, that speech I have to do that paper that I'm like, I'm like not wanting to complete because I'm overwhelmed. So those are the, those are usually the main presenting issues. But then as I get to know the family and the athlete a little bit more, I learn more and we, we can address those things too. No, I was just kind of laughing because I think about my own kids and how I, I have an actor and how her anxiety in mm-hmm. one area of her life can translate to other areas. I have another daughter who dates a guy who competes at a very high level in college bowling. And you see some of the anxiety come out there too. He's, I mean, very, very talented. That's amazing. I mean, like what you're talking about is they're both, I mean, obviously the high level bowler, but like an actor is a performer too. And the performance anxiety comes any high profile, high demand, like surgeons, police officers, firefighters, a lot of our frontline workers all have to be performing at a high level or else someone could get hurt, you know, or there's those high stakes. And so it, it, it's universal to all of that. And and a lot of these skills that we're going to talk about apply to all of those fields. I had not thought about that. (laughs) We've been watching Grey's Anatomy (laughs) and so I think of like the neurosurgeon and the heart surgeon, you have to be precise. You have to be able to think quickly. Right. And the pressure that like this person could die if I don't do this right or whatever, you know? Yeah. What kind of tips do you have? What do you work with people on when, let's say it's a baseball player who's a pitcher and they're getting their anxiety or they're getting nervous or they're not performing at their top level when it's time to a critical moment in a game? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want to just kind of zoom out just a little bit. Like I, I do sport mental sport performance, but I'm also a therapist. So I, I take anxiety and can address it and assess it and treat it in their life as a human. And then that's only going to help when we start to do more specific mental skills training for their sport. So I just wanted to highlight yeah, that yeah. I, I do both, which is, I feel nice. So some of the things like, let's say for a pitcher, I might talk about routine sort of like their pregame routine, their routine when their team is on offense and they're not pitching, what they're doing in the dugout, what they're thinking, what they're feeling in the dugout, and then a post-game routine. So depending on on that athlete, because all athletes are different and all sources of performance anxieties come from different places and are unique to that individual athlete, we will I will sit with them and really look at like what what do you, what do you feel before the game? What do you feel exactly before a pitch? So we might even do a pre pre pitch routine that they do the same exact movement every single time so that they know that that is their grounding. That is the thing they can control. That's their, that's their routine. So that's one thing. Other, another thing is I might have them keep a sports journal, which I know you'd be able to appreciate. And in that would be goal setting for that short, medium, long-term. So goal setting for that game, that tournament, that season, that year. And then we break it down. So if we're in this game, what are your goals for this game? So measurable, smart goals. So they can be grounded by that. And remember that that's what they're, that's what they're working towards. And so if there's a strike or a home run hit against them, 
or, or whatever that they, that, that's short-term memory. They're going to recover from that. Like that has nothing to do with your goal. Stay true to your goal, positive self-statements. So a lot of these athletes, especially like that picture that you're describing is like, Oh my God, I have to throw a strike. I have to throw a strike. I don't agree with the call that my coach is making. Like, why is he asking me to throw a ball? Like there's a lot of internal self-talk, which is filled with doubt a lot of times and negativity. So knowing the athlete enough to know what goes on in their mind before we create positive self-statements to counter that in the moment. And so that they can just kind of, okay, I acknowledge that negativity is coming in. I acknowledge it. I take a breath and then I'm replacing it with a positive self-statement. And that can happen many, many times in, in one inning and in a game. Also imagery is another thing I use a lot where we might even create an imagery script about a certain thing about you at bat or you pitching for example, and imagery is different than visualization in that visualization is only, what do I see? What do I see happening? Imagery is what do, using all senses. What do I feel? What do I hear? What, what am I touching right now? What am I, um, what am I seeing? So you're using all your senses to make a very broad multidimensional experience of what you want and it actually can stick more and it and the athlete is more able to execute that physically when there's a full picture and image of what they're doing and so the imagery might be if we know competitions coming up in a week we might practice that every day I mean ideally it's something that an athlete puts to practice for imagery like maybe a couple minutes every day just reading it even you don't even have to close your eyes and image it just read it get familiar with it, it becomes a part of you. It's like a different kind of muscle memory. So those are just some of the skills that I use. Again, it's individualized and based on the athlete and their needs. I love all of that. There's so much, so much smart stuff there. I think about when I work with runners, I have them keep a training journal Mm -hmm. and I have them write every single day, not just about how their training goes, or what they ate. It's not just about tracking mileage and food right. and all of that. Right. It's how are we feeling? Are we feeling motivated about training? Are we feeling discouraged? Are you thinking you really don't? I mean, how many people get so far into a training plan and then they're like, you know, I don't really think I like running anymore. I'm not really into this goal. And mm-hmm. so I think it's important to track all of those things because then your coach or working with somebody like you, somebody can help you talk through those things and come up with strategies. But the other thing I like about that training journal is that when you get back to down to the end and it's time to run, you're in your taper week, you're in a couple of days before your race, you can also flip through that journal and be reminded of all the positive messages and all of the hard work that you did and all the success that you had so that you have more confidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like we have to be able to acknowledge that and choose positivity, which is another mental skill. Like we're going to show up and not want to train and not want to do this game or not want to whatever, but that's normal and natural and human. So how do we choose positivity and choose a positive way of looking at things so we can move through the next step and stay motivated and focused? Do you have any tips on how you would advise an athlete to use something like a training journal? Yeah. I mean, I would make sure they have one. <laughs> and like, I have a, um, a, a amateur competitive CrossFit athlete I'm working with right now who takes copious, copious notes on 
her diet, like you were talking about her diet, her workout routine. Um, she's very anal per her words about it. And so we're adding a whole nother column on the mental piece of it. And so goal setting between before every session, um, making a goal around meditation, which I think feeds into your ability to practice these mental skills and practice that focus already prior as a baseline. Um, so recording, recording in there before training, before competition, and then reflection at the end of the day as well. Very helpful. What kinds of tips would you have for a student or an, you know, a student athlete who can see themselves in what we're talking about and they think, you know, this would be really helpful. I need this. What would you say to them to get their coach or their parent to buy into this? Because somebody has to pay for exactly right. Pay for the services. No. So I'm thinking of one of my softball pitchers. So I, so it's funny. So the athlete, the athlete saying, so they have to pay it's for sure. So I would want to meet with the parent and I'll meet with the parent, explain to them what I do, how I do it, how it could go for your athlete. We negotiate a rate that's realistic and doable for the family that could be flexible and change at any time. I actually have a, my softball uh, pitcher, she meets with me 30 minutes every other week versus like a full 50 minute session every week. Cause that's what the budget is for her. Cause she has a defensive coach. She has a, a pitching coach. She has a hitting coach, right? Strength and conditioning coach. So I want to put value to it at the same time, be sensitive to the family situation. And so I meet with them. We, we get contract signed and agreed upon. And then depending on the athlete, I can collaborate with their coaches, any of the coaches I just named to sort of integrate this, the mental approach of her game so that other coaches know it and can hear from me about what words we might use or the language we might use to bring this up, share her positive statements or that she has a journal, things like that. So I can collaborate, which is a social worker approach to bring the whole team together and support the athlete in their environment with all of our expertise and roles there together collaborating. And I think that makes so much sense. And it's not something maybe that everybody thinks of is let's get everybody talking to each other. Your mindset coach doesn't have to be somebody who your strength and conditioning coach opposes. I mean, they don't have to be butting heads on everything. Everybody can work together on a strategy to make you excel. So I love, I love that you do that. Yeah, absolutely. With confidentiality in mind and me and the athlete talk about, you know, you're my client, like what and what things do you want me to talk about? What things remain confidential within our work so that it, that stays within integrity and, and they feel that they can trust me with whatever comes up. So there's that conversation too along the way and, and people are more than understanding and just want to learn. So. so on the flip side of that, what kinds of things, when you have a high level athlete, a lot of times their parents can be a little bit intense. What kinds of things do you work with, with the student to be able to get their parents' voice out of their head so that they're in their zone and focusing on their sport and not their parents' uh-huh. expectations? No, it's a great question. And it comes up a lot, a lot, a lot. So another softball player I'm working with, she has told me that this, this space, her and I, is the only space where her father or mother are not in it. Her only softball space where her father and mother are not in it somehow. 
And she really, really appreciates that. So I, at the very beginning in the, in the introductory meetings, when I'm explaining what I do, I'm really emphasizing, you know, the athlete is my priority. The athlete's my focus. She, he, or they are my client, so to speak. And I will not share anything with you about that. <laughs> so it's confidential. So if you have, so I, what I'll do is if the athlete is like my mom, my dad, my auntie, my grandma, whatever is saying this, this, or this, I'll be like, so, so let's work on that. How, how, are, how can we navigate that relationship? How can you say what your needs are? How can you say what's okay and what's not okay? How can you set boundaries? And so this is a life skill. This is not just dealing with this in softball because you're going to have to come up against other people in your life that don't maybe see eye to eye or have different uh, motivations than you or different intentions for you. And you're going to have to learn how to navigate that. So I might role play with them in our sessions. I might be the parent or the coach or someone because relationships are relationships. You have to build the skill to identify what it is you even need or feel first before you advocate for it on your own. So my goal is to empower them, empower them to handle these situations and do that on their own and feel confident about it. So what do you do? What do you advise an athlete to do if they've had a setback? Let's say they had a game or a race or something that they did not perform the way to their own expectations. How do you help them work past that so they can keep practicing and yeah. do better in the next attempt? Yeah. My athletes will tell you one of the things I say a lot is have a short-term memory. That's That happened. We have no control over it now. What we have control over is processing what that means. I believe that we grow from adversity. We grow from failure. We learn. And so <clears throat> what... What can what are our takeaways from that game or that run that you would have looked back on wanting to do differently? Okay, great. Let's let's make that tweak then. Let's make that adjustment. When I can go to the facilities, whatever that is, a track, a running course, a, a field or a court, and kind of see where it changed. Like I can see in their body language and in their sort of facial expressions and the way they are that it, the mentality is changing. So I'll make a note of that and we'll talk about it next session. Like, hmm. Inning three, two outs, you know, two on, uh, you know, what happened there? I noticed this. They're like, oh, shit, you saw that? Like, oh, okay. Like, what happened? What changed? And so we, we, we process it and dissect it and then make adjustments for next time. And Very that, like, interesting. Yeah. And it's not perfection we're after. So a lot of these elite athletes are so perfectionistic. And so letting that go and giving them permission to let it go, giving them permission to accept that that is part of the process and, and accept it. Cause that's, that's human life. And that's the sport. You're always going to have failures. So how do you choose to deal with it? And then on the other side of that, what do you teach them about success? Well, success is just as temporary as failure. So, okay. <laughs> I mean, we strive for it. I mean, I think, our society emphasizes it and glorifies it. And we have to challenge that. Um, and like, I want them to define what is success for you. And success is not winning the game. Success is not winning the tournament. It's you doing better than last time. You putting more effort in than you did last time. And so it's effort-based, it's it's measurable, it's, it's within your control. So I think the first thing is redefining or like being clear on what it means to be successful and maybe sometimes I'll change out, like, let's change it out maybe with excellence. What's the most excellent version of yourself right now? And let's go after that. And let's, let's invest in that piece. 
I live in Kansas City. So we have Kansas okay. City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. And I always yes, love oh my God. Uh-huh. I always love the post-game interviews with Patrick Mahomes because he is so humble and he always has some spin. Somebody will be calling him the most, the greatest of all time, the great just really, really laying on the praise really heavy. And he always has something so down to earth that just makes you think. Maybe it's giving credit to other team members or thinking about this was just one game. I have to go out and do that again tomorrow or next week. So I, he has a whole range of things, I think, that fall into exactly what you just said. That's awesome. Well, maybe he has someone, you know, a professional or a guide or a mentor on his side who's helping him with that because as a young, successful I mean, public figure is what he is. Like, it's easy to not stay humble. And so I'm sure he's received some help with that and is, is taking it in. So I, I really respect that and admire that in him. I did two podcasts last year around the Super Bowl, just of, obs- I didn't interview anybody from the team. It was just observations I had based on watching how that team and Patrick and anyway, just had different team members reacted and responded to because they were always the comeback people. They would be down the first quarter and then come back out of nowhere. And so I I was so fascinated by that. Anyway, they're my top two most downloaded podcasts because it seems like sports performance is a huge topic of interest for a lot of people. So how how would you define sports performance? I guess we didn't even talk about that at the very beginning. What even is sports performance? So there's a, there's sport performance on a physical level. So performing physically. And then what I do is the mental or like some people can say psychological sport performance. So it focuses on designing, creating, practicing, fine tuning the mental, your mental, your unique mental approach to your sport. So your mentality, all the sort of the skills we've been talking about, making sure that your mental game is tight and solid and you know what it's supposed to be and you know what for you and you know how to get there. So getting into that zone, that flow, being confident, focused on the task at hand, not getting distracted by parents, fans, cameras, the situation, and and just really practicing that mental, that mental focus and building that mental toughness and fortitude. That's how I describe it. Do you ever run across athletes who think that this whole mindset thing and mental performance is, oh, that's a bunch of garbage. That's not something I need. That's for, I don't know, whoever they, however they want to stereotype people. Right. Absolutely. Because I think a lot of it is misinformation. They don't know the value of it. I'm actually working with a professional football player um, in the Canadian Football League, and he's never, he's never done like mental skills or sport performance or been coached around the mentality of it. And so we're talking about it now and he's appreciating it. I think there's a, there's a stigma or misunderstanding around what mental sport performance is versus mental health versus mental illness. And I think a lot of people, especially athletes don't want to be like in the mental piece, like I am crazy or like this and that, but I think it's more and more, um, becoming more understood that it's important as people understand really what it is and get educated on it. 
but there's nothing wrong. You're not sick or ill if you if you want to work on your mental performance, if you want to optimize your mental health. Mental health, just like physical health, is just as important. Physical illness is physical illness. Mental illness is mental illness. So we're trying to prevent. We're trying to prevent with the mental support that I offer going into mental illness. But if you already come to me with some mental illness like anxiety, depression, and eating disorder, substance misuse or abuse, things like that, then then I can treat that. I can treat that. I can help us get back on track and then slowly integrate the mental skills training so that one informs the other. That is so amazing that somebody could get to that high of a level in sport without having anybody work on the mental side. And I also agree with you that we need to talk more about all of these topics because the more we talk about them and make it a topic of discussion and normalize it, the more likely people are to not just get the help they need in their sport, but with anxiety and depression or just other things that they're dealing with, communication skills even. Right. Exactly. Because that's when, exactly, that's when they're not able to advocate for themselves or be empowered or realize themselves that they're more than just an athlete. They're not like just a piece of meat out there to produce and be commodified. They have personalities, beliefs, they stand for something. And so really, again, seeing them as a full human and helping to just support that in any way that they want to express it. Another thing I really like about what you're saying too, is that I always say that running transforms lives. It's something that even if your only goal at the outset is I'm going to finish this marathon, you develop new skills, new ways of thinking. It changes you in some way. And I think what you're talking about is an example of a lot of the different ways it can transform you. Even if it's learning how to set boundaries or communicate with your coach, there's so many different ways that it can improve your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I stress that a lot. And my athletes, they they laugh at me all the time. Like, yeah, I know Lisa that like what I'm talking about right now is a a psychological performance skill for you to use and you can apply it in life. Let's talk about that too. So they're like, I know, but no, we have to keep enforcing that, that this is not, these are skills for life, not just your sport. I think what other thing that comes up a lot right now, especially with COVID is personal, personal trauma. A lot of my athletes I work with are athletes of color. They've been like sort of tapped early on as a successful football player or basketball player or whatever. And they are just shaped just by that for the rest of their lives until they go pro or are collegiate and they don't get to develop any other aspect of their identity. Like what is my, what are my spiritual beliefs? What are my creative abilities and interests? What are my intellectual aspirations? And so I'm seeing folks who only know how to play or don't have confidence in the other areas. Maybe basically slipped by getting that college degree and still don't feel confident there. I think also that I, as a woman of color who works primarily right now, and I want to kind of shift that with men, it's an interesting experience to feel how they can kind of let their hair down a little bit more with me and not have to impress me or match my testosterone or whatever, that it's a place that they can relax, be themselves, be seen, be supported for who they are, that I don't just ask about their sport or want to hear about it. It's like, yo, okay, what's going on with your girlfriend? Or like, 
I, you went and saw your mom for the holidays. How's that going? You know, what was that like? I know you haven't seen her in a while. Like, so I'm asking about other identities they have in that case, partner, son, and then the sort of the social justice aspect of at this time in our world, a lot of athletes want to stand up and, and make an impact on some of the social justice issues that are alive right now. And being able to navigate like, well, I want to speak up, but then is my coach going to get mad? Or does that jeopardize who I am as a public figure? And, and so we navigate those things and discuss them and, and explore together. And they empower them to come to their own decision on how they want to express themselves right now. And so it's an interesting time. And that's all part of the intersecting identities that these athletes face right now. I think that is such an important consideration just Because when you are a high level athlete, it is your life. I think of kids that we've known that were gymnasts and they were missing half a day of school so they could get to the gym and you miss out on all that socialization and just Mm -hmm. all those things that come with interacting with your peers at that age. So I love that when somebody works with somebody like you, that it's thinking about the whole person because you think about high-level football players and you get to a point where you're making a lot of money and nobody's telling you no. And there's a lot of skills that you need to have to go along with that level of fame. Exactly. Exactly. And, And some systems or some leagues invest in that and some don't. And so yeah, now that you have a, a professional athlete salary, what is your responsibility? How do you handle that in a way that fits your beliefs? What skills do you need to make those decisions? Who do you talk to, etc.? So another part of um, me as a social worker, therapist to athletes who also works on mental sport performance, there's a piece of like resource and referral, being able to connect them to resources within their league, within their team, Access, accessing their insurance, accessing the player associations within their leagues and, and making sure they know what's available for collegiate athletes, knowing what's on campus, knowing what's available, how to access it. So that it's, it's build, it's continuing to build that team. I'm only one person. So I want them to have as many mentors and guides as possible to help them through their journey. Now, before we went live, we were talking a little bit, you also have been or are a runner. Tell us a little bit about your marathon. What? Yeah, great question. Sure. So I, er, I, running is not my thing, but I will run for a sport. But, but I was motivated to train, this was about 15 years ago, train and run the Maui marathon for a social justice cause for myself. Um, That's what motivated me. So when we talk about motivation, for me, it was not finishing. It was not crossing the finish line or completing it or not bonking out. It was, I'm doing this and I'm going to do it as much as, as far as I can, as long as it takes to, to represent this social justice cause. And so in that, my fiance at the time also really trained for a year together with a group. And then my mom, who was like 65 at the time, she walked the half marathon. Again, she wouldn't do that if it wasn't for the cause. And then both my brothers who were in geographical locations also trained and ran, ran the marathon with us. So it was a real cool family event. We had a little family vacation afterwards in Maui, but it was my motivation. Like I am going to complete this. It took a lot longer than I, I, I would have wished, <laughs> but I mean, my husband now, he was my fiance, then crossed that finish line together. And it was just, it's one of the highlights of my life, really from, from an accomplishment of 
will, perseverance, commitment, standing up for something bigger than yourself, representing a group of folks who, who struggle with inequities. And um, it was more symbolic than anything. And I, I, would, I would do it again for that, those reasons. Yeah. I think that's also a really good reminder that people's motivations vary and not all runners are driven type A people. Some, a lot of times we're running because, oh, I'm going to go run that rock and roll marathon or the Disney half marathon because I'm going to go have a vacation with my girlfriends or let's my first, well, my first half marathon was supposed to be a family vacation. And then I said, oh no, I'm ready sooner. And I threw a race in front of it. But (laughs) that was the point of that. We were meeting with my husband's cousin and her family and we had a great big family vacation around it. So I think that's important to remember though, that people's motivations are different and you can't do a one size fits all thing as a coach or as a parent. You really have to get to know who you're working with and understand what's, what makes them tick. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I talk about intrinsic, intrinsic and extrinsic benefits to your motivation. So like that helps your motivation. So like, why are you running right now? Why are you playing this sport right now? What are the intrinsic or internal benefits? You feel good about yourself. You feel like you can accomplish something. You, it builds your confidence, things like that, or extrinsic. Like I do want to run this many miles this month and that's my goal. Or I want to enter this, these many races this year and that's my goal. So yeah, knowing what keeps you motivated in between competitions and in between training sessions. And, and like you said, it's very unique to each athlete and getting to know someone on level so we can explore and identify the thing, those things is super key. And then I think also COVID has given us a chance to, because for people who want to run, there are not as many or very few in-person races. And so you've seen a lot more virtual races and a lot of those are for causes, Mm -hmm. just, you know, Mm -hmm. as fundraisers. And I think there's a lot of charities that rely on the funds that are raised by not, I mean, just lots of events that we can't go to. And so I know that there are a lot of people who are trying to support some of these virtual events, because at least you know that you might not be able to race in person, but your money is going to go help support restaurant workers or this cancer society or leukemia society or whatever cause is important to you. I think that's amazing. and Awesome. It's great. And I think it also serves multiple levels of of motivation to be a part of a team when you can't train and run with the team if it it can be isolating and isolation is one of the biggest issues people are facing right now um, with COVID isolation from your team your community your campus um, your facility whatever and so when you can come around and rally and know that there are other people running too for this same cause and you can connect with them and maybe even socialize with them over zoom or online before the race, in your training, during the race, and after, I think that really helps with the social, the socialization piece that's lacking right now. Yes. So not even speaking specifically as an athlete, but just as a somebody who works with that mental side of people's experience, what are some things that for those of us who are getting a little bit COVID crazy, stir crazy right now? who are tired of being cooped up. Do you have any recommendations to help people get through this final push? Yes. 
Yes, it's a big, a big issue. It's a big question. So I have a couple make sure you do type things. So I make sure, and this could be more easily accessible for those who are athletes, but I want people to move their body regular every day, 10 to 15 minutes a day, whatever that might be. It doesn't matter. Move your body. You can dance. You can do yoga. You can go for a walk. You can do 500 jumping jacks. I don't care. Move your body because that accesses, there's many physical and mental health benefits to that. I'd say reach out to someone to connect, to ask how they're doing or to say what you need. So some kind of social interaction with someone, socially distanced, over the phone, text, an email, anything so that you, that your world on a day-to-day basis is beyond and bigger than you. Get outside 10 to 15 minutes a day. You could walk, you could sit on your porch, get, get that fresh air and get some sun. The vitamin D is super important right now. The last thing for sure would be gratitudes. That's a huge thing right now because it's so easy to be down and depressed and lose hope. And this thing's been going on for so long. It's so easy. So we have to choose gratitude, just like we choose positivity, choose that other side. And so to train our minds to choose that more naturally is every night, write down, don't just say, but write down three things you're grateful for before you go to sleep. Simple. I'm going to take, don't take an hour, take a minute, 30 seconds to just write down three words. I'm grateful I'm alive. I'm grateful that I ate today. I'm grateful that my kids are healthy. I'm grateful that I can even, I have a voice and can speak literally things like that. They don't have to be huge things. Like I'm grateful for my like house. It could be, but just as simple as they are, it's the practice of accessing what you're grateful for. Not as much what it is that you're grateful for. If that makes sense, it's the practice of it and being consistent because that change, there's a neurochemistry to that, that changes everything and how you outlook. And then so when you see things on a day to day, you're more apt to see a glass more half full than empty because your body and your mind, your brain's kind of already in that mode. So those would be the things I would prioritize for sure. All fantastic ideas and great reminders for things that we might know, but And we might've even thought about them nine months ago or 10 months ago, but now we're just like, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of this. So those are fantastic. I have so loved talking to you. Is there anything that you wanted to say that I didn't ask you? I think you covered everything. It's been my pleasure to just speak with you and and talk with you. I, I feel the passion that you have as well and what you do. It's a great platform that you have. I appreciate being a part of it. I mean, my last note would be athletes are, are humans too. And, and they, one of my mentors says they put two feet in their pants like everybody else. So let's see them as human. Let's see them as multidimensional and dynamic. And we all need support in some way. We all have our story. And how do we empower each other to come together and uplift one another is really my whole focus on this. So thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. And how do people get a hold of you? Where, where do you want people to go find you to connect and learn more about your services and how you can help them? No, it's great. Thank you. My, my website, and it has all links to my social media on the website, is lisabontasumi.com. I'll spell it for you. L-I-S-A-B as in boy, O-N as in Nancy, T-A, Sumi, S-U-M-I-I.com. I'm also welcome. You can call me 415-254-0149. Again, all my social media and my phone number is all on my website. So yes, please connect. 
Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I hope some people reach out and work with you because I can tell that you know what you're talking about and you will help a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you so much for the platform. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe. As a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.